0: hey guys this is ronnie just a reminder these are old episodes and if you want to check out what we are currently doing all you have to do is go to the rebooted channel on youtube and you can see our sweet faces talking about this stuff and announcing a new podcast with ed greer ron swallow and producer bill called the greatest pod check it out wherever you get your podcasts in addition if you want to support us monetarily All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash the greatest pod and you can sign up for the $5 tier that gets you extra podcasts or sign up for the $7 tier that gets you the extra podcasts and art sent directly to your house. We've got a new T public store for you to get all of the cool shirts that you could possibly want the mumbo gumbo the pop art reboot crew the classic logo and then of course. The Rebooted Drinking Game, which has Jensen Ackles and DJ Qualls, among other fan favorite comments. So do yourself a favor. Go to tpublic.com user reboot it and pick up your favorite T-shirt. So thanks for listening and thanks for supporting Reboot It.
1: At a major Hollywood studio in a corner office of Sub Basement D. The development executives toil in obscurity to... Reboot It! Welcome back to our personal corner offices for Episode 3 of Reboot It! Quarantine Edition. We hope that you guys are staying safe from the virus. Please stay quarantined as we are because as you know, this is a global pandemic, and you don't want to be patient zero, so...
2: Bill, are we going to reboot Contagion? Because it looks like it's kind of already happening. Maybe we just write what's happening, and we have a free rebooted episode. Yeah, exactly. This no, is The reboot dude. of Contagion is happening outside right now.
1: <laughs> no, that's
0: it
2: one definitely feels like it's been John Peters inspired from the beginning.
1: <laughs> John Peters is Seriously. producing this pandemic. That's why it's such a disaster.
3: (laughs) I think there'd be more
1: spiders. (laughs) In any event, we are here to bring you another amazing Hollywood reboot. This time, we are committing sacrilege once again on the show, as we like to do, rebooting one of the most beloved film series of the past 25 years, Lord of the Rings. Whoa. To help me do this, (laughs) as usual, all the rebooted co-hosts, First, you know him from Hot Takes with Billy Business, a senior producer at Screen Junkies, Billy Business. Oh, man, I am
2: excited to talk Lord of the Rings. Nervous because I know Ed hates it. But either way, (laughs) I've got my Eye Eye of Sauron t-shirt. I'm ready to uh, I, I don't know. Those those movies were so perfect. I don't know what to do.
1: This will be a hard one. It's wild because they are rebooting Lord of the Rings. Even as we speak, they're doing an Amazon TV show. Right. Yeah, they're they're digging into the past oh. to,
2: uh, to try to make sure, you know, I don't know if it's going to line up with Peter Jackson, but what Peter Jackson was able to do with those novels and putting them on screen, it's a Herculean effort in itself. So to try to one up that, oh, I don't know how we're going to do it. Do you have a favorite of the Lord of the Rings movies? I actually think that my favorite is the two towers. Um, I think it just it starts because it doesn't have to set up anything. And it's just amazing emotional stuff with Sam and Frodo, but also like some of the best just
1: fight scenes ever put to film war scenes with the Battle of Helm's Deep. Totally agree with that. That's my favorite for all the same reasons. Let's check in with the other guys. You know him as a co-host of Nerd Goat. You've seen him on the New Negroes on Comedy Central, and you catch him every week on Screen Junkies Universe. Mr. Ed Greer. Uh, Hey, guys. I do not hate Lord of the Rings. It's just
3: old, and some parts are dumb. (laughs) And I Just really like you, interested-
2: Ed. That's how I describe you to people. He's just <laughs> old and parts of him are really
3: stupid. <laughs> hey, I can't be a genius all the time. Uh, so basically, look, I like Lord of the Rings just fine, but I don't have the connection to it that I think at least two of the four of us have. So I think that's going to be necessary. And carving through what's, what, what we have to do to make this a viable movie, now or a viable series of movies now for people who don't quite, you know, clutch these things to their breasts as they go to sleep at night, like some people.
1: (laughs) So what was your favorite of the, uh, of the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings? Or are you a Ralph Bakshi guy? (laughs) Uh, I'm definitely not a Ralph Bakshi guy.
3: (laughs) I love that rotoscope animation, but come on. Uh, And also I got to say, Lord of the Rings has been rebooted. What you just said, the Ralph Bakshi version is different than the version in the, in the, in the illustrated books. Hmm. which is different than the version that we got where Legolas became a ninja. I'm quite sure in those Tolkien books, Legolas was not a ninja. Okay. (laughs) So they've already kind of reinterpreted these guys. So it's like, if you're going to get your, get your uh, medieval knickers in a bunch, just don't. I would think the ninja
2: thing is the most Ed Greer suggestion for Lord of the Rings (laughs) that I have ever seen. Like, yo, you know, make this old story better ninja bro (laughs)
3: dude i'm mad that he beat me to it you're absolutely right i was gonna make Legolas snake eyes
1: (laughs) well another man who loves putting ninjas in everything you know him as the co-host of the nerd goat podcast ron swallow hello um i don't like
0: anything you guys are doing right now (laughs) ron's already coming in hot
1: (laughs) ron uh how do you feel about the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings? Are they everything you could ever hope to see or no? I mean, no. I mean, I'm <laughs> a picky piece of shit when it
0: comes to books. But uh, they were great. I love them. They're, it looks beautiful. It gets the basics of the story right. I think it misses. It actually does miss a few things that I think, honestly, we could do. But um, I, I don't know. Well, you know, I, I don't like to say that I'm smarter than somebody who's, you know, Peter Jackson. <laughs> uh but uh i do think that uh there are aspects of the story uh that we were talking about beforehand that i think that we could get right uh that that uh they didn't get right in the movies so yeah i think we can do it uh i'm not excited about uh, whatever weird changes you f-
1: want to do but you know that's <laughs> that's that's neither here nor there <laughs> Well, let me be the one to cop to the fact that uh, while I have, of course, seen the Peter Jackson movies multiple times, I have never read a single word of a Lord of the Rings book. So I will be the most heathenous here in the group today. Um, and just to give a little bit of setup, as we always do, The Lord of the Rings was first published in 1954 after a good almost 20 years of work between The Hobbit, which was published in 1937 and The Fellowship of the Ring. J.R.R. R. Tolkien, of course, the beloved author, um, who then went on to really expand his Middle-earth uh, mythos even more with uh, ancillary works like The Silmarillion, which gives like 10,000 years of history of Middle Earth, so there is a deep, deep well of material to pull from here. Uh, this was first adapted by Ralph Bakshi, a uh, uh, sort of a an erstwhile Disney animator, I believe. He started at Disney and got frustrated. Could somebody fact check me on that? I think he was, if I remember correctly, uh, very frustrated about
0: uh, a lack of. Um uh, being able to draw outside the Disney style or something along those lines. If I like vaguely remember reading an article about that.
1: Yeah, he was definitely he was he was a classically trained animator who became a big figurehead in the counterculture during the 70s. So yeah. Ralph Bakshi did an adaptation of Lord of the Rings that nobody really loves. It basically condensed the, the epic three volume book into about a 75 minute movie, which was a little bit weird. Um, But also did some things that would carry over into the epic 10 hour Peter Jackson trilogy, which won all the Oscars when the final movie was released and generally set the tone for what blockbusters would be in the 21st century. So that's kind of what we're up against.
2: I'm not seeing anything about Bakshi working for Disney. Um, I I know that, you know, he kind of along with Disney is one of those pioneers of, uh, of animation, but I just read a, a huge uh, book about Peter Jackson, the making these Lord of the Rings films. And there was a lot of inspiration that he drew from them. Uh, and yeah, It cannot be understated. There's a reason why there's lots of books. There's hours and hours and hours of documentary footage about the making of that trilogy
1: because it was the impossible task to do. And somehow they did it. Oh, they broke incredible new ground, like cinematically with the techniques that they use technologically with the way they advance CGI, uh, just in terms of opening audience perception. The idea of doing an epic fantasy movie as a big budget blockbuster was considered nonsense until they did it. So, I mean, this is an important series of movies, you know, maybe only rivaled by the fact that the Lord of the Rings. Uh, aside from selling 150 million copies, is kind of also the book that did for epic fantasy, you know, what The Dark Knight Returns did for comics. It's like, yeah. that was the first time that somebody was like, oh, this could be real elevated literature.
0: Absolutely. And all of my favorite authors are pretty much inspired by Tolkien. So,
1: you know, Tolkien changed the game for the novel, Peter Jackson changed the game for cinema. And now, how are we going to change the game with our version of Lord of the Rings? <laughs> so... Oh, who, hubris <laughs> for a fall, you guys. Well, all that said, you know, as we always do, we want to ask, what does an audience bring to this? You know, if, we, if we're releasing a new Lord of the Rings in theaters, what are we up against? What, what are the preconceptions? What does an audience need to see? What do you think an audience doesn't want to see? Jump in. Yeah, I
2: think... Th- the the double edged sword here is that because it's only truly been done one way i think that there are opportunities for us to try different things because it's only really been attempted once you know um i mean yes there was the bakshi one so but i mean in terms of like the general public most people only associate with the Peter Jackson movie. So we do have like a lot of different avenues that we can try to do things. The other side of that is everybody almost universally, almost universally loves those movies. So when someone goes into a Lord of the Rings movie, the bar is already set so incredibly high that you can't really bunt on any of mm. this. You have to swing for the fences with every single choice you make because people are walking in and they already got the best
3: version of that story for a lot of people mm. ed <clears throat> well you know i've been i've been being quiet because i've been listening and i've been trying to be very respectful and i'm going to continue to do that uh but i do think because people do have such a perfect version in their head and i don't know how much we're going to be able to counterman that i think that's the reason why these people uh, who are doing the new Lord of the Rings stuff are uh kind of going in the history of it and trying to do almost like a prequel approach or different stuff like that. I think that's smart because uh if you look at the history of it, I've always been, and this is just me letting it out, I've always been very disappointed at the treatment of Sauron. Mm. Sauron runs this town. Sauron run Bada town. Okay, and he's just a freaking eye in the sky, or a myth that we get to see for ten seconds as he's smacking whole armadas of dudes off of his of his sword, and then nothing, and then a dude carrying a ring for seven hours. That's nuts. That's nuts. Sauron is so cool, and as even even my goofy ass knowledge of his prehistory is fantastic. He was like Lucifer of yeah. the elder gods of the universe. Oh. There's so much there and there's so much, uh, even if we did attempt to take certain story elements from the ones that exist, we could show how they relate to that old history on mm. some way that's, that's better and different. That's, that's what I got to say preliminarily.
1: As, as somebody again, who knows nothing about like the real backstory of Lord of the Rings. That was the thing that always tripped me out in the Peter Jackson movies is like, I Sauron was just treated as like evil for evil's sake, which never works for me in any story. I mean, even even John Milton in Paradise Lost improved what happened in the Bible. You know what I mean? Like you have to give the character something other than just, well, he's the most evil. Why? Just because he is.
3: Yeah, I I agree with that. That's why I want to explore more about what what makes someone be that evil, what makes someone invent uh, a circumstance for evil in this way, like like uh with the rings and the distribution of them, whether we want to abide by all that mythology. But like what makes one invent a whole new way to spread their own essence or their own evil, either way you want to think of it yeah. throughout the universe in that fashion? What, what motivates somebody to do stuff like that? It's never explored, we got we got a bunch of guys walking and this beautiful Jedi genius from the past is just sort of giving short shrift and he's evil. He's in a ring. Man. Yeah, That's and crazy to me. And it's he's
1: like, so interesting. Even if he is just evil because he's evil and he's the personification of all evil, then I at least need to understand, like, what is his end game? Because that was the other thing that was kind of unclear in the Peter Jackson movies was like, all right, fine. You take Sauron as just he is what he is. So then what does he want? Like, what does, what does it look like if he gets what he wants? And that I was never clear on either. Mm. I have a follow up, but I want to hear Ron's take before yeah. I jump Sorry, back Ron. in. Oh, it's okay.
0: We're waiting, Ron. Go ahead, Ron. Oh. <clears throat> uh, first off, I think we need more. I think we need more walking. <laughs> uh, and more songs and also I would like more people smoking pipes oh, wow. uh, this is going to be also, great <laughs> also if Tom, Tom Bombadil isn't in this fucking movie I will burn you all to the ground I just want you to know that <laughs> I want Tom Bombadil in this goddamn movie as a comedic uh, break that's all I want more than anything that has happened in a movie um, <clears throat> actually what I really want to do uh, Billy talked about this a little bit beforehand Uh, When you read the books, you kind of realize there's this big uh, class difference between um, uh, Frodo and Samwise. Um, And uh, I would love to see where we go with that. Like, I would love to explore a thing where we talk about not only friendship, but how that how classes disappear once you're in some kind of emergency, some kind of thing, you know, a war or or whatever type of thing. Once you're in this dy- most dire of circumstances it doesn't matter how rich poor in between or weird you are it, it all comes down to choosing to be friends and and sticking sticking together um because to me that's the story of of the lord of the rings is is uh people coming together to fight people who are trying to destroy their lives whether you know the reason behind it or not um is not as big a deal to me. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, if you don't,
1: if you don't have some walking in this, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll feel. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm very confused by your, your commitment to the walkings.
0: <laughs> look, there's a lot of scenes in, uh, while reading Lord of the Rings, where they walk through beautiful forests. And we forget like the, the part that the walking isn't the important part. It's the, it's how cool the land is it's how glorious and beautiful life is mm. and i know it doesn't sound like a big deal to to some people but really sauron's goal is to destroy beauty because his version of beauty is you know death and volcanoes and darkness and unhappiness it's industrial i yeah. mean
2: very much what tolkien was all about nature and Sauron was kind of, you know, you see it especially with Saruman uh, you know, tearing down Fangorn Forest uh, to make all these new armors and and armies and weapons. So I agree with you. I think there's like, you know, there's kind of like a couple central type of themes. One of them is like nature versus industrialization. Then there's mm. definitely class kind of uh differences uh in the books and the movies. I don't know if you would if you would really pick up on the fact that. Sam is not an equal to Frodo. He is definitely underneath. He is like a butler to Frodo in the books. Mm. Um, But to take it back around to Sauron, I do think one of the, the things about the movie, and again, like they tried to do everything and I think they did it a fantastic job, but they blow over to me what is one of the most important and interesting parts about Sauron is that, you know, he's got this one ring to rule them all. They don't really... Talk about the fact that Sauron made a bunch of rings of power, gave them to important people, and then used his ring Mm. to control all of them. And the men, the kingdom of men, all those kings, they went along with it. They were just fine. Gladriel and all the other ones, they kind of have their rings of power almost like stowed away. They don't use it. Whereas the kings of men, they are corrupted by Sauron's power. So... You know, there's a line that Galadriel says, uh, you know, nine rings given so and so. and She's like, but they were all of them deceived. And I feel like that one little two and a half minute, 90 second chunk of just a a exposition is so ripe for Mm storytelling and carving out who Sauron is and what he wants that I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't. That's that's what I'm saying. That's one of those angles that was left wide open for us to explore.
0: And actually, Bill, I think this is something you would love, because really what it is, is this guy's uh, all about order in his view of order. So he's basically taking away freedom again. And and that's 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 what the, 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 the difference is. It's between
1: fascism, fascism and, and or and, and freedom. Just hearing you guys talk about this stuff, the fact that this was written literally like during and immediately after World War Two makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense. Because yeah. this entire idea of like, and and frankly, I never got this from the Peter Jackson version, and I definitely want to start here. This idea of like all of us as individual races and tribes have all this bad blood between us, and that's almost blinding us to the danger of this greater force that wants to come in and wipe us all out. And so right. the fact that that greater force, to Billy's point, is using these kind of like insidious temptation methods and then meanwhile all the common folks are too busy squabbling amongst themselves to realize that that's happening up above their heads I love that and I never got any of that from the Lord of the Rings movies so I think there's we start like a there. pinch
2: of it you kind of get a, a, a vague sense of it in the Council of Elrond scene where it's like I yeah. don't trust an elf and you know kind of like belittling the dwarves but again it's like a vague sense because they can't stop and be like I don't like your race you know there's mm. definitely digs at, of like you know uh, Elrond says like the dwarves don't care they just all they care about their riches and they hide in the mountains Like there's, there's lip service to it, as you said, in one of our other episodes, but it never is really truly shown that middle earth is kind of a place that is divided and, and Sauron the deceiver is taking this opportunity
1: to To kind of divide and conquer. Mm. See, I like that. And I think that there's, there's something to be said for the fact that Americans in entertainment generally, I think, are a little bit more attuned to British culture now than they were then. And this idea of like a class system and like lords versus peasants and the way that that is still real in a lot of parts of British culture. I think that awareness in an American audience or a global audience would help drive some of this home. Like, I I would imagine that's probably why Peter Jackson avoided some of this is because it felt too rooted in British culture and he wanted to get away from that. That would I don't know, just speculating. So let's continue down this road then as we talk about like what story we're trying to tell. We know that we want to portray the fractiousness of the different cultures in Middle Earth and the fact that there is an opportunity for this insidious force while the people are distracted to come in and start corrupting all the leaders. And so I kind of have two questions that might be sort of the same. Number one, do we want to start where Peter Jackson started with kind of like, your big grand history lesson. And then number two, do we want to cast Frodo as our hero from the beginning? And the reason I ask that is I feel like the Shire and the Hobbits are so separated from everything else that's going on in Middle Earth. Is there is there a better entry point than just starting with Frodo's idyllic life in the Shire? I have a third question. How many movies is our Lord of the Rings? Oh, interesting. I mean, I think, Ugh, there, yeah. I think there's something to be said for keeping it as like a trilogy to reflect the books. But certainly Peter Jackson showed we could I mean, we could do a an nonology, You know, we could Star Wars it up and do nine movies. I don't know. I mean, you know, th- it would be interesting because I love Ed's idea of exploring
0: uh, um, uh, Sauron uh, and how he rose to power. Now, obviously, we would have to do a little work. Uh, looking through the symbol similar- <laughs> and, um, um, uh, you know, try to keep as, you know, to the books as possible. But I, I think there's a, a, a portion in there would be interesting to see how he gets, you know, put back. I know that's a you, you do that in like four minutes in the, you know, the original trilogy with uh, Peter Jackson. But it, I, I don't know. There's something to creating a bad guy and understanding where it's it's the thanos thing it's understanding where your bad guy is coming from is kind of a big deal in it just like you said he just seems like this this guy in armor who who doesn't really i mean you know some guy chops his finger off and then he's not as powerful what what happened you know what i mean like and And that's all we really see. i would I would love to to maybe even make it four movies where it's like the first movie is setting up how the ring disappeared. We don't do the Hobbit per se, but we talk about, you know, what precipitated
1: this hate, basically, between well, the races. Well, let me and throw all yeah, of that stuff. I mean, let me throw this at you. I think that if you if you take a, an entire movie even to tell a story, with a subtext of how little the hobbits matter to anything, then if your yes. sec- if your second movie starts with Bill- with Frodo Baggins, basically your entire first movie has sort of told you to think about like him and his race and his life are inconsequential to everything. And then you pick up the story at the beginning of the second movie that with him, that gives that puts so much more baggage on him that I never felt watching those Peter Jackson movies, because he just felt like, OK, there's a bunch of crazy races in this world and he's just one of them. And I get that he's small, but like, why not him? You know, I feel yeah. like if you put the legwork into into really hammering, like, no, definitely not him. They are meaningless to everything. Hobbits are just pieces of nothing then he's got a whole lot higher hill to climb metaphorically through the rest of the series. I don't know. I love that idea. And on top of that, it adds into some of my things that people
0: think it's ridiculous why I like Return of the Jedi. One of the things I love about the Ewoks being in there, even though I know it was supposed to be Wookiees and they were just like, we can't have hundreds of Wookiees in a forest. Uh, so they did little teddy bears and knew that it would sell the kids. But in my world and in, in Ron's head Canon, A big portion of that is the Empire's hubris of underestimating uh, the little guy. Um, And I think that's a big thing that happens with the hobbits is that everybody underestimates them. Everybody thinks that they're not like they're specs. They're not important to the world. Mm. They're not the guy with the magic sword. They're not the elves who can run across the treetops like, you know, magically. They are just these dudes with big feet who farm and eat breakfast three times a day, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there that that's I love that. I love that these the heroes of the of the movie are the guys who you don't expect to be the heroes.
1: That's that's one of my favorite things about the books. You know, I almost wonder is there is there a structure for this where you do a trilogy and each movie of your trilogy it's like the first movie of the trilogy is all about Aragorn and the second movie of the trilogy is all about The L. I don't know if you want to make it all about Legolas, but it's all about the elves. Hmm. And then the third movie is all about Frodo. And like the third movie ends with the council, you know, with the council together trying to figure out what to do with the ring. And then it's almost like you set yourself up for a whole other trilogy where these you know the oh. band is kind of together. I yeah, you love know it's that. it's wow. funny
2: cuz they I feel like in some respects that was kind of what the Hobbit trilogy ended up trying to turn into mm, was yeah. kind of they took this base story but then they're like you know, if people do watch this in order, how can we flesh out the dwarfs so you get what Elrond means when he says that they hide in the mountains, or how do we flesh out the elves so by the time we get to um, Lothlorien, you kind of understand who these people are? So I kind of feel like they tried to retroactively do that, but if we do that with the intent, you know, the whole time, I think Aragorn also has a really interesting story. I think, yeah. you know, one thing that that Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyens really kind of invented for their trilogy that works uh, really well is really this doubt uh that Aragorn has that you know his bloodline is not tainted that's not that's not really in the books there's mm. there's a little bit but he gets over it fairly quickly. Um, and I do think that if you were to take that concept, like what is a little boy who is raised by elves? What does that look like? You know, what? why does this, this guy with all this power end up being kind of like a Walker, Texas Ranger in a little nothing town. Like there, I think there is enough that uh, that's the trilogy I would watch before watching Lord of the Rings, uh, especially if one of those centered around, the fall
1: of Sauron. I love it. And and I think that, I mean, honestly, I think that first movie could kind of cover, I mean, it, it would be Aragorn's movie, but within that, you kind of get the entire story of the corruption of men and the fall of Sauron and why the kingdoms of men are no longer united and Aragorn should be, you know, the king of men and he's not. I mean, that's that's an entire story in and of itself never has been told on screen that I would like to see. And I think it within it, it sets up all the plot threads that the rest of the story could pick up on.
3: Right. And I, I'd like to jump in here because uh, I think, uh, I am interested in Aragorn being in a sort of, uh, situation where he is an early harbinger of like understanding what's happening like not to just reiterate what you just said but like the whole point of him not being able to arrive to raise to be the king or whatever or to be whatever the equivalent of the king in this universe is is that he made political enemies by trying to tell them a magical demon from other world didn't just come magically give you a bunch of weapons to use against our enemy he wants stuff (laughs) <laughs> Things are, think bad stuff is going to happen. I was out in the woods having an adventure and some weird ring wraith dude, I killed him. And then I've got a mind vision of hell or whatever the hell, you know what I'm saying? It's like, he has enough adventures and enough experience to have seen the forces of darkness as they're creeping into our world or whatever from this sort of jazz. And if he's trying to tell his bosses or the people who want to, are going to make him king, he could seem crazy, you know, and uh nobody could heed his, his warnings. And that, that's kind of why he ends up so low is because in the in the government or whatever He got he got basically canned for trying to tell the truth, Mm. which I I love whistleblower stories, a whistleblower story in a Middle Earth. I love that. I mean, they tried (laughs) to
2: kind of shoehorn that in a little bit in the first Hobbit movie with Gandalf, where, you know, the necromancer is actually Sauron and, you know, Saruman's like, no, there's no one's, you know, Sauron's not coming back. Little do we know at the time that Saruman's probably just in league with him. You know, mm, or yep. starting to to talk with them, um, but I I do like that. I like that. I kind of you know the it's the Krypton thing. No one believes Jor El that uh, Krypton's mm. going to explode. Y- yeah. yeah, you know, there's divine prophecy in the fact that his bloodline was Aragorn's bloodline was the one that defeated Sauron the first time. So yeah, maybe he does have like a connection with Sauron that he can't explain but he does know what's coming and no one believes him. Mm. Or everyone's pissed at him because uh, Isildur never got rid of that ring in the first place. Something could happen, you know?
3: Right. And maybe also the, the thing of like, I also think that people misinterpret history all the time. Like maybe at the time, Aragorn's a family beat up Sauron, or if we're being real rebooted heads and maybe putting some of that conflict in this movie, uh so, something like that happened in this movie but or or happened right before our time but it's misinterpreted now maybe people are like yeah i mean sorry i got out of hand back of the the whole point of this is there are time magazines articles that called hitler a man of peace mm. you know what i'm saying at the time because yeah. you know he he kind of came in and kind of was changing up some stuff and they were like oh he'll be okay and then a scant few years later, we realized that nothing was okay at all. Sauron having something of a, of a reputation like that, even like, ah, he got out of hand, or he's a good guy, and then he goes crazy, or like, you know what I mean? Like, just people misinterpreting history.
2: I mean, that's one thing. I actually, that made me think, Ed, and I, one of the things that I really love about uh, the Jackson trilogy that maybe we can expand upon a little bit was, Boromir is probably the clearest version of we see as someone driven mad by the ring, but imagine if Sauron's powers extended even further and this idea that oh, Sauron either wasn't that bad or is maybe way more mythologized than what actually happened. What if that deception is from Sauron the deceiver and part of his powers is almost like trying to wash away his history from the minds of people, almost like it, you know, how no one in Derry kind of remembers it, you know? Mm. Yeah, well, and I'd also like
0: to see, uh, because one of the things that always annoys Ed is how orcs are but uh, uh, I re- went and re- re-read some of that stuff because I had had a memory uh, where I was like, I'm pretty sure they're something else. And uh, what it is, is they were elves that were tortured and turned into orcs because they were tortured. So um, I would love to expl- have that shown too, so that we now see that the orcs aren't necessarily uh, some other race. They're what happens when you, when you in put evil and and uh, hatred into the heart of
1: uh, magical creatures, which is basically what elves are. Well, and so so I think what we can do here, just because my head is always thinking structure, it's almost like you want to pair a character, a race, and one aspect of the villains for each Mm. of these first three movies. And you almost treat them like the Star Wars prequels, right? Like we want to just sort of lay out all the cards so that when the real story hits, it's like it has so much meaning and so much impact. So it's like if, if Aragorn's story kicks us off and basically it's Aragorn, the kingdoms of men and these corrupted Boromir style leaders who have been influenced by Sauron. And to Ed's point, this idea of like, nobody can really agree on if Sauron was good or bad and why and what does that mean? That's sort of your first movie. And you end that movie with Aragorn in the tavern as the hobbits arrive, and then you start the next movie, and it's like the story of ho- the hobbits in Middle Earth, and I, maybe I'm not exactly sure who your villains would be because I don't know the mythology well I enough. I always
2: think I think you pair that's where it's, you put Gandalf and Saruman, oh, and that whole kind of yeah, nice. And Or maybe this is your chance with the Hobbits one, because it's like there's no true Hobbit story because they keep to themselves and they're pretty happy and oblivious. Maybe this is where you put your very quick adaptation of the Hobbit is the Hobbits centric movie, you know?
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I think I mean, I don't know if you want to go back to the it's such a it's such a big story in a lot of ways just because it has the dragon and it has the the dwarves and. But then again, I don't know enough to know if that, how much of that was invented by Peter Jackson. I don't know how there,
2: there's. I would say there's, like there's a, a lot, like at least at least fifty to sixty percent of the Hobbit trilogy comes from appendices from the Cimmerillion, from okay. yeah. a lot of it's, like none of the stuff in there, and
0: Radagast is not in there at all. So like, we should
2: definitely re, put yeah.
1: Tom Bombadil in there, though.
0: Well, there you go.
2: Now, now Ron's happy. But I do think there, there's something interesting about the relationship between wizards and hobbits, because it's like Gandalf relates most to this, to these kind of, you know, this puppy dog race of hobbits. Mm. Whereas Saruman, you know, I love that line in fellowship of the ring where he's like, clearly your love of the hobbits and their, their leaf has clouded your mind. You idiot. You know, like (laughs) I definitely think that there's some sort of, you know, uh dances with wolves kind of story to be told with the wizards gandalf and and yeah if you want to throw in
0: tom bombadil sure uh and the hobbits for that second <laughs> i want to tell you why tom Bo- tom bombadil is actually kind of important in in a way um because it it he personifies choice in in those books he puts on the ring and he's like this powerful um like God, like forest God, basically. And he's like, oh, but he just likes the forest and he doesn't care about power. He doesn't care about ruling anything. So the ring has zero effect on him. Mm. And that may sound weird, but it's also one of those things where you start to see uh, the, the ring. It, it isn't about the ring. It's about the wearer. It's about the person who puts on the ring. Okay. And, and that's, that's one of the key things is yes it does corrupt because that's what it's designed to do but it corrupts because it finds what's in your heart and corrupts that part okay so tom bombadil so, is actually big because of that
1: and i think i think what that also speaks to is the idea of like in this first and call it the prequel trilogy <clears throat> the 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 thing that you're following is the power of the ring right so as you're moving through these different characters and different races it's all about how does this race treat the power of the ring. And so yeah. the, the Aragorn movie is about the, the fascism, the freedom versus fascism. And then the Hobbit movie with the wizards is sort of about nature versus industrialization and like the corrupting power of the ring. And then I think that movie ends with basically the Hobbits arriving in Rivendell, right? So you tell some of the, the yep. beginning of the Lord of the ring story, it ends in Rivendell. And then your third movie is about the elves and the orcs and about like How does magic work? Like, how do these how do these enchanted races work and how do they relate to the ring? And so then it's like halfway through your elf movie, you pick up the Council of Elrond and then you're kind of off to the races and you got to find a stopping point where it's like, okay, at the end of this elf movie. Now we have a sense of what all the conflicts are in Middle Earth, what all these races mean to each other, what Sauron's ultimate plot is and like why it's so bad if they fail. And now from there, we can kick off into into call it three movies just about Frodo's journey with the ring.
2: I think you just have to make sure you sprinkle the dwarfs into the elf movie because they are a a major race. and I I do think that's a perfect example of, I don't know, maybe you can use the orcs as part of why the dwarfs don't trust or like elves, you know?
1: That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, and you guys know better than me about like what the relationship is between the elves and the dwarves. But I, yeah, I definitely get that. It's contentious. And I like, I'm the also th-
2: fine. Just like making up our own reason at this point, you yeah. know, well, no, no, that's, that's what I was
1: going to say. This is okay. This is where
3: I can contribute. Okay. Back in the days, there was this uh, movie called alien nation. It sucks. It's got Jimmy Conn in it and Mandy Patinkin playing an alien and their heads look like eggs. They drink sour Wasn't milk. Wasn't there a TV show drunk. of this too? Yep, there was. <laughs> so, but in that, this is the key. Fucking elves, when they get corrupted, turn into super ninja monsters. And no, I don't mean actual ninja monsters, but you understand what I'm saying. It isn't that three of our fucking hobbits and a fucking guy with a sword can beat up a hundred of them. No. Two orcs, your whole village is dead. And the reason is because this particular evil of Sauron infects elves who are the best fighters, the best people, frankly, in our universe. They're just the illest. So when one of them gets corrupted and turns into one of these creatures, it is apocalyptic. So when you see 10 orcs and you got a 100 soldiers, you guys better run. And that's what's so scary about when the Sauron stuff gets into elves and why elves have a real vested interest in hiding the fact that they're even corruptible in this manner. You know what I mean? That it's well in their interest to hide their major weakness that when they get corrupted, they become the most awful thing in the universe, which could make all the other races distrust elves quite a bunch.
1: Yeah, I love and that.
3: Elves yeah. And elves isolationism, them and dwarves have one thing in common, which is their thinking that all the things happening in Middle Earth and all the tumult that happens in Middle Earth ain't got nothing to do with me, baby. Mm. I'm an elf. I'm in a tree. I'm making cookies. I'm slicing fools up. You know what I mean? Or I'm a dwarf. I got money. I don't care. This war brings these other factions into the war with man and Fro- the Frodo's and them are too weak to help themselves. Men are too corrupt. And aren't together, and all these and these other races that can help them—the dwarves and the elves—are isolationist. So over the course of the movies, we get everybody involved. This is great. I love it.
0: I really like that, and I can't believe I like it. This <laughs> is not. This is going much better than I thought it would go.
2: Uh, <laughs> no. No. no, you can't have giant eaters. Uh. Uh. Why do I always forget this is coming? Why Damn did it. I say something positive? <laughs>
3: what was I thinking? At least this one has a spider in
2: it. <laughs>
1: Boys, I am here to put my magic on this franchise that oh so desperately needs it. First of all, is anybody showing COVID-19 symptoms? You're all good? Yes, we're good. <laughs> That's too bad. I was kind of I was kind of hoping I could uh, I could get some publicity for the company if one of you guys had come down with it, you know? So here it is, gentlemen. We are tackling the biggest franchise of the past 25 years. There's nobody better to be doing it than me, John Peters. And here is what I need you guys to do. The only way to improve the biggest franchise of the past 25 years is to take influences from the other biggest franchise of the past 25 years. And when I look at Avengers and I look at Avatar, there's one thing that I know this movie needs, and it is blue aliens from space. I need blue aliens from space in this Lord of the Rings movie Aliens make this fantasy something that people wanna see. People don't like fantasy, they love aliens. Put it in, and I will hear nothing about it from you. All right, make sure you don't get COVID-19, wink wink. Goodbye. Okay, okay.
2: okay. I, I have I, I, an cool. idea. I think I have an idea. I think we're gonna be okay. Okay. I, this might take some inventing, this might exist already in some form or fashion, but if we're talking about Sauron, And we're talking about he's kind of a Lucifer. How do we know that maybe whoever created this universe, the race that created this universe, they're just kind of in the bigger galaxy. Sure, they're blue. He's got a helmet on most of the time anyway, so we don't know what he looks like. Why can't Sauron be from this ancient race of like, Eternals, and that's kind of your alien, you know? Okay. (laughs) Shaping the world how he wants it to be, Uh, how he thinks it should have been the whole time.
0: I'll allow it. I mean, listen.
1: (laughs) I think think there's enough wiggle room between like alien versus weird extra dimensional being that maybe you can think Mm -hmm. are like angels. I mean, that works. Yeah, I, I'd say yeah. Maybe his his
2: race of eternal gods uh, created this earth, and he from the get go was like, "This is not how it should be." And Sauron's desire for powers to shape it the way he said that it should have been done millennia ago.
1: Ooh, boom! I love. It. I like this a lot. I actually think you could get, and this is the thing that the Peter Jackson movies never did. Like the magic in the Peter Jackson movies is very inferred right yeah. like aside from aside from gandalf sort of riding on a horse as a bright white light comes out of his staff it's like you never see magic really happening yeah and so i would i would almost think that there's an opportunity to break some new ground with like all right what do the gods of Middle Earth kind of look like or manifest like or, you know, what does their power look like? That could be really cool. Yeah,
3: that's cool, because like us seeing these like Elohim, you know, uh, pr- uh, proto universal elder guys and seeing their attitudes about creation and what their ideas are a little bit. can We can see why. Yeah. Like you said, Billy, why Sauron wants to do what he does which informs him as far as his goals more than frankly
0: i've ever seen before already yeah also it increases the danger cuz they're against dark side
1: yeah i like that i mean that. that's it
0: it increases the danger a, a hundredfold so that's even better
1: so this is going really well i guess the last question to ask is like once we get into the meat of the lord of the rings books was there anything that the the Jackson movies did that we want to do differently? Was there anything that they left out? Was there any emphasis placed here and we want it placed there? Like what else? What other changes do we want to make?
3: Uh, can I name one thing, please? Because I, I think I'm the most divorced from this and I think I can, I can speak to it. The difference that I would love to make is if we're trying to make these things so epic, I want – a lot of the eye candy and the Peter Jackson ones were, were real set pieces as in how people used to think of set pieces as in a set piece was something that was super huge and didn't necessarily have anything to do with the overall plot. You Mm. know what I mean? They did a bunch of fighting that I felt like, uh, I don't, I don't really know how this really, like, I want to do the Eagle scene. I want them to try to ride some damn Eagles it gets shot down and messed up by Urukai and orcs. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't have to be, oh, where were the eagles? No, we tried to ride eagles. We rode eagles for 30 minutes in the movie. And then my eagle got shot in the neck and I fell from like a billion feet. And I crashed through the, the forest tops and I almost died. And now we're walking. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would love for us to be able to say that to the audience, that we tried all this magical. Gandalf tried to teleport us there. And it didn't work because they blocked us with this thing. You know what I mean? I don't I want our characters to have some reason to go through all this other than we chose to walk. We tried everything. We tried magic, eagles, we tried to ride griffins. We tried to do a lot. And we were stopped at every turn. And we still got here and we still destroyed this ring. I think even if it's like
2: it if it's like a line of dialogue or or whatever, but yeah, it's like the only way, I, I agree with you, Ed, that it's like the only way that we're going to slip in unnoticed, you know, is on foot. Because I think it's asinine that the Eagles exist in this world. Cause It makes me kind of hate the Eagles a lot in Jackson's movies, because <laughs> yeah, in no. The Hobbit, they drop them off like halfway there, like tauntingly that they can see the end result it's like why didn't you just take them all the way there there has to be an in-story reason i, I if, if sauron has radar i don't care what it is but the only mm. way and maybe that ties back to the hubris it's like sauron has forces looking out for eagles and everything but he would never think
0: that we would just walk right into his backyard you know how? how about one scene where eagles um, are being harassed by the ring wraiths or something along those lines so, and they're protecting their young. But, but again, okay, here, here's the thing guys. this is a key opportunity mm-hmm. for
3: us to talk about isolationism. What the hell do the eagles care that people on the ground are getting messed up? They're high in the sky. They're in the mountain. They don't care. So what I think it's interesting is maybe our, our heroes and our little hobbits, convince one eagle to like, look, man, this is eventually going to get to your door, too. You need to help us. And then they, they show they do something honorable that proves to one eagle that he should help. And he dutifully tries to fly them over there. And they get shot down by Sauron radar. And it's okay. like, man, dude,
1: C- can this is I, crazy. Let me build on that, because one of my least favorite parts of the Lord of the Rings trilogy is the Balrog scene. Not that Gandalf versus the Balrog is a bad scene, but everything around it to me felt so forced. And like the whole idea, Okay, we're going to go through the mountain. We're going to go through the mountain in the mines, I get. But then it's like the idea that they walk into the mines and it's completely empty and like, And that seems to be something that they're surprised by. But then why? And then, like, why are all those orcs in there? And like what it just it makes no difference to anything else that happens in the movie. Why don't they Hmm. get up on the mountain? The pass is snowed in. That's where the eagle picks him up. And then you lose Gandalf in a midair flight with Nazgul and dragons or whatever. And then Gandalf falls down through the clouds. And then he can come back as Gandalf the white after falling out of the air rather than falling, you know, to his death in the battle with the Balrog. I don't like any of that. What's (laughs) the significance of going through the mines? Why do do they do think I
2: think that was specifically uh, to show that the dwarves had been wiped out. Um, because, you know, Gimli is saying like, yeah, you know, that was the first point and it doesn't quite, it doesn't quite work. I will give you, it doesn't work, but I think it was supposed to be like Gimli's like, yeah, well, we're tucked away in the caves. Like we're, we're doing just fine down here. And then Gimli shows up and he's just
1: as ravaged as anyone else. So what I think was cool then Hmm. is in our structure, if the fourth movie, the actual walking, begins with them trying to go into the mines of Moria. Right. Well, and it begins with the mines of Moria and, and the one race that we really haven't spent an entire movie with is the dwarves. And so it's almost like, all right, this is going to be the dwarf movie. And then it's like, you open the door and instead of just being barren and dark, it's like a massacre of dwarves and it's just they're all dead and you see that they're all dead and it doesn't look like they've been dead for 50 years, which is why that doesn't quite work and is weird. Then it becomes, okay, we're running and it's a scamper. And really by act one, the end of act one, you're out of the minds of Moria. And now it becomes what next. And in the fellowship of the ring, that's sort of where the group splinters and they go one way and, you know, and the, 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 the hobbits go one way, everybody else goes the other way. Which for me is always where the story takes this weird dip where it's like, okay, I get that they got to take the ring to Mount Doom and then the rest of them just decide to stay together and try to do some other stuff. I'd love to figure out a little bit more narrative momentum for Aragorn's group coming out of the Mines of Moria. And then I think here is where you could use the Eagles, like Ed is saying, like they try to make an effort to get to Mount Doom as soon as they get out of those mines and you still have two acts of a movie to sort of deal with the consequences of we tried riding the Eagle, we got shot down, it's not going to work. And now we're stranded somewhere. We don't even know where we are. And then the other piece that I would like to address is like, okay, how do you give Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas a sense of real purpose as opposed to like, well, now we're just stranded and we're going to randomly come across an army and we're just going to get looped into whatever it is they're dealing with. That's the part that I I don't really like.
2: I have I have an idea for that. I mean, essentially, you know, Frodo kind of tells Aragorn, like, I'm taking off and you know, I can't I can't do this with you. It's not safe. Maybe fro maybe it's just as simple as Frodo's like, you know, he's like, What can I do to help you on your way? And Frodo's like, get everybody ready because once I get there, I'm gonna need backup. So their mission doesn't become to find Mary and Pippin, because if they did, it would just be over. It's go to Rohan, we need their help. So instead of just asking backwards falling into Rohan. It's a targeted mission to go to Rohan.
0: Okay.
1: I love that. I can that. get behind that. Yeah. I, I have no problem with that. I love that. Okay. So I like that. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else? So so let me address this. The, the only other thing that immediately comes to mind as being kind of lame is sort of the whole Gandalf reborn as Gandalf the white and what that means and why that's important. I have to imagine that the books do a better job of that than the movies. Yeah. So explain what is the – because, again, as somebody who never read the books, just watching the movies, I feel like I get that defeating the Balrog is kind of like a level up of his powers for some reason. Can, can Do you have any explanation it's, for what it's, that it's is? It's
2: more like he's – He's now uh I'm trying to find a an equivalent term. It's like if he were to die and become an angel and he's sent back to earth for one last mission and once oh. that mission is completed, then he that's when he takes off for the gray havens because he's called back to heaven,
1: essentially. That's amazing. That also ties into our whole thing about showing the old gods of Middle Earth. And right. Like, yeah. Also, I never. Wow, that's that's a real bummer because, like, the movies do not communicate the idea that, like, he's basically sent back to Earth for one last mission. And after that, I mean, that that's kind of why he
2: says, you know, "Get off the gray." That's what they used to call me, isn't it? Because he's kind of evolved out of his his gray human form. And now he's, you know, it's coming back to him who he is, but yeah, essentially he's sent back for, to finish this war and then he's called back. And, and that's when he takes Bilbo and Frodo with him.
1: Mm. Okay. Well, I, liked- and, into I like into Je- into Jedi heaven,
2: into the gray havens, which is I mean, essentially, you know, Valhalla
0: or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Sort of. Mm. He's just, bec- I mean, it's not, you know, he just becomes the
1: head of the, Wizards Hmm. by becoming the white. So how do how does Aragorn and company? Because the other thing that just hit me is that frickin Deus Ex Machina scene of going into the canyons to recruit the army of ghosts that just sweep over everything like a big CGI ooze. And suddenly the battle is won. That's a lot lot
2: of that is exaggerated and slightly invented for
3: Return of the King, the movie. I know that this is my solution for that. I think, well, part of my solution for that. And obviously, I just come up with action gags. You guys can shoot them down if you'd like. But uh, I think the turning of it is yada, 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 magic, 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 Legolas and the Boys, free a big portion or figure out some part of Sauron's magic or Gandalf figures out some aspect of Sauron's magic. He brings back some knowledge from the elder world. I don't care, but something that frees a significant or a weapon or something that can free a significant amount of the orcs who are in the other army. Cause mm-hmm. if a significant amount of the orcs become elves and become good and see the light as it were then they could very easily turn the tide just about as ill as a, as a ghost army could. I just, I don't, I don't know I, you know, I, you know. I I agree to the
2: extent of I'm fine dropping the army of the dead. I would almost rather find, have him find an army of like wildings that have no association with Sauron or the kingdom of men. They're just on their own game of Thrones style. They do what they do. They survive on their own. And it's him pleading to him. Like you are a part of this world. This is the time that, you know, we can make, we can ratify the mistakes of men from the past, fight this evil so that we can all be free. It's not just about you. Like, I would make it a character moment and not make it like this, hey, blow. Job Ghost from Ghostbusters. Will you come join <laughs> me uh, to fight Sauron? Because I, I don't like that either. It looks so bad, you know, especially after you've invested all this time in this huge epic battle scene and then it's just over with like a swarm of like the mummy, you know, scarabs coming in. And <laughs> I just, yeah, I would rather it be a character moment for, for Aragorn or for the arc of how we're treating the world of men than it
3: is just like a plot device well then i think as long as we can sprinkle these wild people throughout the earlier movies because i think what's interesting is if there are wild people and then city people who live under the government and all that kind of stuff like aragorn is aragorn is literally part of aristocracy which is part of government and he has to rely on little bums a weird ghost wizard and you know what i'm saying all these all these weird other creatures and and dwarves he can't he can't lead an army of men. The men don't trust Aragorn or the men won't be under Aragorn for a long period of the saga. So that's why he needs this A team of little weird creatures, you know what I'm saying? And, and that and they're I, that's one thing that is communicated by the movies that I don't want to lose is that this ragtag group saved the world.
1: I love that. I, I think
3: we can't, we can't lose that. And I think we're only emphasizing that even more with some of these changes we're making is what I'm well,
1: saying. Well, I, I think that that ties into kind of the, the conflict that we set up in the first movie of our sexology. Like if, if the politics of men are sort of so corrupted that they can't recognize the danger that's sort of fomenting right under their noses, then yeah, Aragorn's only hope is he needs to unite the armies of everybody else. And then, I mean, maybe that's what the Battle of Helms Deep does, really, and maybe it does this in the books. But like if Aragorn's ragtag army of creatures finally wins a decisive victory against Sauron, that is like the rallying point that the armies of men need to be like, oh, our Kings and our leaders and our forts and our walls are not the safety that we thought they were. We need to go with this guy who's building this pan ethnic coalition. Like we need to stop being shit, zealot xenophobes and get with the, get with the program here. I like all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, I mean, I, the only, the only thing we haven't talked about guys is Smeagol himself, Gollum. Um, well, I mean, mm. he was the best part of the Peter Jackson movies, I, I would say. Yeah. yeah. I
0: mean, uh, you know, the thing that I would like to see us do better is really show how good of friends uh, Frodo and Sam end up being. Because mm. we all know that Sam is the actual hero of the whole thing. He's literally carrying the ring bearer and his friend to uh, free him of this burden because he wants to help his friend. And I, uh, uh, uh obviously is the guy who's trying to separate them. He's the guy, he's the, he's the, you know, the, the spoils. Um, and it's funny because it, you know, in the, in that book, Schmiegel's just dancing around and just falls off. He gets the ring back and just falls off. Hmm and falls into the volcano happy yeah, by the way
2: yeah even in in the one another great addition that i feel like they made for those for that trilogy was that you know there's the the whole kind of subplot in return of the king where he frames sam for eating the food and you know frodo tells sam like you're done that doesn't happen in the books and i no. really loved that they added that uh that Gollum was you know much more treacherous and much more deception, uh, full of deception. So, I kind of feel like that's you know, that's kind of, I, I would like to see maybe a stronger kind of link. Maybe, maybe instead of just the, you know, his desire for the ring, it is like, like you know, if we're really going with Sauron, is in the minds of people, give him a, a stronger link to Sauron because really. Frodo doesn't realize it. You know, he wants to believe that, that Gollum can be redeemed because he really wants to believe that at the end of it, him, he himself can be redeemed. Uh, but I love it if, you know, the whole time Sauron's kind of, you know, been with him in a sense with Gollum right
1: next to him. I also love the idea of using the Gollum character as sort of, this is what is going to happen to all the kings of men, to all the kings of all the races, right? Like if you make it explicit that Gollum is under the sway of Sauron and this is the fate that is going to await any of the other people who would use a ring of power. I think that's effective. I also think Ron, to your point about Sam, the thing to do is really just to not portray Sam and Frodo as being hetero life mates from frame one. Like that's the thing that I think if you, if you really do lean into the class difference and the fact that Sam is is just kind of seen as like the trusty houseboy and by the end it's like he's proving himself and Frodo now has a totally different estimation of Sam than we saw we saw him have at the beginning. I think that would I works. would love that. I think them having some great conversations along the way where
0: Frodo really starts to see Sam as a, a just another person you, you know like as an equal. Like he realizes that this whole thing is not smart, like this whole idea of treating people differently because they do a different job or you know, having people as almost indentured servant. yeah, I don't know, something along the lines of like really realizing all of that along the way, I think as well also would be a, a big yeah, hope. one
3: thing I would also add, and maybe this is sacrilegious, but I really would like. To explore more about what would happen when different people get the ring. We get to see, I guess, Boromir is his name. Uh, the guy who got his head chopped off in Game of Thrones, right? He gets it for five seconds and he's like, ooh, I am evil. Whatever. I don't even remember what happened because it was that nothing to me. And then I guess he dies or something. I don't care. But the bottom line is that happens. And then like Frodo gets it for five seconds and is just like, I'm evil as well. I don't know. And then like Bil- Bilbo had it and did the weird vampire teeth. Uh, none of this means anything to me, guys. I'm sorry. I, I didn't read a billion books to support it. So none of that means anything.
0: It's not moving. It's goofy as hell. Well, that's but, why that, that whole setup with the ring, with the leaders is important, I think. Right. No, I agree yeah. with that, which is what yeah. I'm
3: saying. is I, I think we need to show more either power, either those, those, those other rings in this time, in this reality, instead of putting them in the far-flung past. Like we I think we're kind of talking about suggesting doing showing that they're actually real existed in this world. Like it's almost like Sauron gave nuclear bombs to different groups, mm. yes. and they decided to use the nuclear bombs different ways, you know, or or use certain technology. I get that, but like I just want more of like what happens when different people get the ring because I think a really interesting scene that I've never even seen hinted at is like, or maybe Samwise got it for a second, but like Frodo can't hold it because he's an aristocrat. Of the of the freaking Frodo's, you know, of the hobbits. He's, he's a person who can have a manservant. So he's a privileged person. So his privilege, when he grabs the ring, he starts thinking about having a larger house with more servants and this, that, and the other. And maybe Samwise can hold it for a second and not feel anything because he's just a humble guy. But he holds it for like two more seconds and he starts to be like, I want a big house and I want to have the power to subjugate the people who used to subjugate me. Mr. Frodo is now my slave. And they take it out of his hand. Like, dude, what the hell? Like everybody I – w- I want some machinations in the story throughout six day movies of and, different people touching the ring and us seeing the different ways that power inf- infects different people across different strata. I think that would be very interesting dramatically is all I'm saying.
0: And, I, and let me say that. I also like that because it makes every single time that Frodo puts on the ring to escape a problem that more of a choice that he has to make, not a choice he wants to make. And because that much more
3: damaging because he could start ex- looking a little Gollumish. You
0: yeah. know what I'm saying? He could start yeah. looking a
3: little Gollumish. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like that.
1: Okay, okay, cool. Are there any other story things to address before we move into casting this thing?
3: I think we got it. They, I, we, we've I, met, and you know what I was and noticing? It's weird, we've by made, the way. We, dude, we've made this like The Wire. With oh. <laughs> 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 all these creatures, right? We focus on the different groups across the seasons and it all coalesces to a larger story about. This, this drug dealer Sauron and his, his, his Coke rings. This is great.
1: I like it. I love the, I love the class warfare, the idea, you know, the, the xenophobia, all this stuff that I feel like should have been there to begin with. I, I like making that the text. So let's talk about it. We've got a lot of roles to cast. I don't know if we're going <laughs> to cast everybody in this thing, um, but we definitely need to cast Aragorn. We probably need to cast uh, Gandalf, Frodo, Sam, um, maybe Legolas and Gimli, if we want to go there. And then I think there's an argument to be made for casting um, Galadriel for casting. Um, what's the name El- of the the, the the prince the princess of Rohan? Aowen. AON. Yeah. Ar- Arwen
0: Ar.
2: Well, Ar- Arwin's the elf princess that's Aragorn's love interest. Aowen oh, is. Eowyn. The Rohan. that's right. I,
0: I always get their names confused because right. there's like 47 names they don't have two letters. off. Even I have
3: to. Dude, somebody tell Tolkien to stop getting wild with these vowels.
0: Like, what the (laughs) hell? Even Um, I have to complain about that. Put
3: some consonants in there, you
0: freak.
1: (laughs) So, with such a sprawling cast, I'm not quite sure where to start. Does anybody have a strong suggestion for any member of this cast?
3: I have a strong suggestion for where we need to start, and it's at Gandalf. Because if Gandalf doesn't work, this is a bunch of ass. Because people keep looking to this wizard who nobody respects as a wizard. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or no, you, you know, I, I feel like he has, and normally he's one of the oldest actors in the cast. So I feel like if we start at, uh, Sautoman, I guess, and Gandalf to see who we're casting as like the wizards, I think we could find out the different trickle down ages, or at least Gandalf, maybe not Saruman, but, uh, but.
2: Well, G- actually Gandalf, for yeah. Saruman, I was thinking, cause at first I was like, Liam Neeson would be a great Gandalf. And then I was like, actually, he'd be a great saruman someone that you initially trust and you know as soon as he mm. opens his mouth you're like yeah what a warm and inviting oh. person and but when he turns that tide and becomes like raz al ghul from batman begins you're like damn we trusted the
1: wrong guy you know it's so funny because the easy answer for who is gandalf to me is ray fines have him play against type as um Voldemort. Still, you know, still within the same sort of milieu, but just play the opposite character. Um, yeah, hmm. that's an interesting. I, that definitely. I was thinking Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> um, Big like, swing coming out of. Retirement I would
2: love to see what his what his prep for being a wizard is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just think he's a great actor,
0: and he is the age and the look, and he's from England.
2: I was also thinking Sam Neil. Uh, Could be an interesting choice. I think he might have actually been up
1: for a role in the original Jackson one, too. By the way, Daniel Day-Lewis is the... the the name we should have come up with when we were casting Lex Luthor in our Superman episode. Uh, Oh, totally. totally. I
3: drink your kryptonite (laughs)
1: milkshake. Yeah. I like Sam Neill though. I mean, you also get the nineties nostalgia points for people remembering him from Jurassic park and he's going to be in the new Jurassic world. So he's going to get a bump from that. Yeah. And he does have, I mean, he has that kind of combination of fatherly presence uh, but yeah. also mischievous wink in his eye. Yeah, I think he'd be great.
3: I, I kind of like that. I like the wink in the eye because I saw him in, it's either Hunt for the Wilder People or some shit. Uh, Taika mm. Waititi did this, did this uh, movie about uh, a little kid who gets lost in like the Outback Forest or whatever mm. with Sam Neill. And Sam Neill plays a guy whose like, wife dies, but he's so like, after his wife dies, he's like, I don't want to talk. The person I wanted to talk to is dead. So And he plays just such, such a deranged but yet lovable guy Gandalf. I want Gandalf to have so much power and so much wisdom, but at the same time, there's some Yoda to it where it's kind of making him a little weird. If Gandalf was a little weird in this movie, I wouldn't mind it You know I mean? because he has, he has he's so much power guy. and so much responsibility. He has so much power and so much responsibility, but he's just a man, a man with immense knowledge of things, but just a man. I think he's walking around with a sort of Lord of the Rings, uh, conflict in his heart all the time because he's so powerful and has all this magic and has all this repository of knowledge that's weighing on him you know what I mean I just think he's yeah. a little weird Sam Neil's pretty weird I like it I like it is what I'm saying
0: and I like Jeremy Irons for Soromon. oh well wow, that's Dude. a good choice
1: coming that's, from the shoe tops Ron yeah that's a really nice <laughs> choice and actually that makes me think as long as we're thinking of older actors um Timothy Dalton as Elrond might be a pretty sweet piece of casting. Oh, that's I didn't even nice. think about that. Uh, Elrond, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, because
3: yeah, he's a handsome-o.
0: Yeah, dude. Uh, and I think we know who could be Legolas.
3: If you say Tom Holland, I'm going to kick you in your <laughs> mouth.
1: <laughs> hey, by the way, Tom Holland as... It. Frodo, not a bad casting decision. Actually, that isn't a bad casting decision at all. That's pretty well, good.
3: Yeah, like, well, you know what? I'm saddened by the fact that that is accurate, what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to fight it. I was trying to fight it, but yes, this sort of aristocratic English person who has more power than their youth would suggest, and obviously, for, uh, you know, the Hobbit's age at different rates and stuff. Yeah, like a young lord. That's kind of what Frodo comes across as in this, is sort of a young lord, even though he's old. For Sauron,
2: are we doing where you don't really see... Like, do we want a name actor, or is it just, like,
0: a VO thing? Like, what does a Sauron even look like? I don't even I think, know. I think giving him a face creates more fear. Don't you guys agree with that? I do. I think and especially this- as his face disappears as the power inhabits him but remember he's gonna have to be
1: blue
2: no matter if we (laughs) if we do it his true blue it's billy billy crudup we're gonna
3: get billy crudup out of blue man retirement
2: (laughs) i really like that bill his true form like he can almost like you know like the biblical satan shifting into a serpent like he can look however it's most pleasing and deceiving to whoever he's speaking with i think
1: Ewan McGregor. Oh, Ewan McGregor as as the devil is a nice piece of casting. Yeah. Oh, I like. It that. He was good as
3: Black Mask. Yeah. Ron's killing I it on the casting. Yet, today. But
1: uh,
2: I, I I saw the F word compilation, and he does look like he can play
1: angry very well. Well, I was. Gonna, <laughs> I mean, was another pretty freaky in it, honestly. Another idea for Sauron is that he appears to every race as a member of their race. The idea Ooh. that he has this constantly shifting appearance. Um, I love that. Yeah. And then I think, you know, you can kind of give him his his true form whenever he ascends to real power. But like you almost could use a bevy of different actors, make it a real I love uh, Bob Dylan and I'm not their situation. <laughs> I
0: love that because it also foments the uh, the separation that he wants, the divide and conquer that he wants, because while he's their race, he can be talking shit about the other races. Yeah, absolutely. You can't you can't, tra- you can't trust those dwarves. Look at them ho- hoarding their riches, not, not sharing with anyone in, in the grounds mining for gold, you know. You know, you, you can't trust the elves. They think they're smarter than you. You know, Dude, I got a stuff. guy,
3: he's he's not necessarily English, which I don't know is necessary, but like look at Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Oh, yeah. He is he is so handsome. Mm. And he talks so well. He talks that cheap Man. Jeffrey D. Morgan talks. <laughs> he's gonna it. be like, hey, Aragorn, you put
2: on your poop pants because you're about to poop your <laughs> pants. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I just think he's got he's got a little bit of that, like, if they were redoing Devil's Advocate right now, he would play the devil. Because yeah. he can do all the devil speeches, he can lay it down, and he's he's just I think he's great. I, I I hate how much I think he's great.
1: <laughs> I <I'd> love him. <laughs> That's not a bad choice at all. I actually wouldn't. I wouldn't mind Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Aragorn either. I mean, I feel like he could pull that. I hole. think he'd be a great Aragorn. Uh, he would be. I think.
0: I think we should go with our Wolverine choice, uh, Logan Marshall Green. As
1: Aragorn. <laughs> oh, he doesn't have. I don't think he's got the presence of being a king. Though, nah. that guy. No. Yeah,
3: no. Nah. But nah. also, though, uh, for Aragorn, is he how old is Aragorn supposed to supposed to be? Because, I mean, honestly, Jeffrey D. Morgan is older than 40 and under 55. That's kind of his area of playing. Yeah. Aragorn's uh, like
0: 30s.
2: Well, Aragorn human. is truly like in his 80s because yeah. he has the the blood of the Dunedain. So you yeah. can you can fudge it. You can you can be whatever because he's going to be 80 some odd no matter what he is. You know. You didn't you didn't
3: even have glasses on when you said that, Billy. You didn't even have glasses to push up. You said
2: um. Actually, uh, he's one of the uh, Dune you know, Yeah, but he. I'm saying he
0: appears relatively young, and right. bad
2: so I think you yeah. I think you could still do like you know I think Vigo Mortensen comes off I don't know how old he was but he comes off as like a 44 year old man in those movies
1: you know I guess he t- kind of does you're right I agree with that I I always took him as being older
3: yeah I think he's playing in his late 30s but yes I agree with all these. there's, there's not nothing to
1: to quibble over um, let's keep let's keep thinking about Aragorn but I gotta throw out there it is a crime that Brendan Gleason did not play a dwarf in any of these movies. <laughs> he should absolutely be Gimli. <laughs> Brendan Gleason is Mel Gibson's sidekick in Braveheart, who's been in every, he's been in so many movies. He is a wonderful oh, yeah. Irish actor. He looks like a dwarf. He is, he could bring so much, he could bring, I mean, that performance in Lord of the Rings uh, by John Reese Davies is wonderful. I think Brendan Gleason would top it. That's all
3: I'm saying. Oh no, Brendan Gleeson would murder that, and I'll I'll agree. Also, he has the battle hardenedness that I don't think I get from uh, Jonathan Rhys Davies at all. I mean, like, yeah, I would say it,
2: Ray Winstone, but I guess they're kind of cut from the same cloth.
0: Here's yeah. a question: Is it too on the nose to put Kit Harington as Aragorn? Yes, I think yeah. he, he
2: just he, he seems too young. Too like I would want someone to appear like I just don't believe that Kit Harrington has had like 60 years of adventures in him.
1: Okay, I mean you really enough. need you really need a guy who could you just need a strong jawed kind of statuesque actor and I don't
0: you know, know who I, you're talking about
1: Henry Cavill. Yeah Henry Cavill's he's too is he he's too much too no I mean first of all he's too overexposed but also oh, like that's true. as as Ed has said before there's just an inherent darkness to him as an actor that I feel like yes. he doesn't have he doesn't have the bearing he doesn't have a kingly bearing to him you know What about Christian Bale? Not a bad idea. I I,
3: I mean he's a great actor he would get in super shape I think he already knows how to fence and stuff.
1: Uh I damn,
3: yeah.
2: I kind of want him he's, as Boromir he's 46.
1: I kind of oh, want Christian Bale uh, as Boromir. That's all I would he say. He would be a
2: great Boromir because he can play like the the hero, but also with that twinge of darkness when he gets corrupted. I think I think he'd be a that great would be boy. Great. Plus, Christian Bale be like, I'll do one of them. I ain't right. doing six of these. You know? Yeah. No. Keep yeah, the cost down that. on the on the movie if we're thinking like producers. You know? Yeah, and you need <laughs> to give.
1: I mean, you need to give Christian Bale an actorly part, and I think Boromir is sort of like being seduced by evil, falling to the dark side, you know, being able to claw his way back only to die. Like, that's a good Christian Bale part. Agreed. Um, Man, Aragorn's a hard one.
0: What about Denzel Washington? Is that what he's
3: saying? That's going to be along with Tom Holland and and that supernatural guy you keep bringing up. Jensen uh, Eccles! Uh, he can't oh, play. He least.
0: can't play. The, I, even the, I have the, to the, admit he can't play Aragorn.
3: Oh, you—you you gotta admit he can't play anybody except that one time. We 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 cast him in something. We he's cast like, him in something one time he's a great where it was actually actor. appropriate. You were under underestimating. Metallo. That's he's it. Metallo. We gave you Metallo. That's it. It's That's <laughs> a
0: good That's
3: Metallo,
0: it, dude. It's a good Metallo.
3: That's it. I disagree. Uh, I want to cast the Balrog, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm just joking. <laughs> I will eat all of you.
0: I will pass. You will not stop Is me. Is, a, is Sebastian
2: Stan too young for an Aragorn? Ooh. No. Ooh. No, he's not. I'm, I'm thinking how you, he looked in like yeah. Infinity War. And I'm like, that looks very mm-hmm. Aragorn-y to me.
3: Dude, I I, I agree as well. And, and that's what I'm getting at. I think Aragorn in, in action movies, every action star is played by a 46-year-old man. But I guarantee you the script called for a twenty five to thirty-six year old man. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, let's kind of try to get more close to what yes,
0: beautiful. Yeah, this is beautiful. I love that. Awesome. We did it. Um just a Who couple we gonna have other- play? Arwin.
2: You know, Arwin's another one where her role was greatly expanded uh for the movies because she had nothing to do. They pulled appendices, they made up some stuff. Like I have I have I jokes know, about I, it. I know that uh, I know that romance is definitely something like we we don't want it to just be, you know, all testosterone. I think there can be romance, but I also don't know if it needs to be as much of a driver for Aragorn as it was in the other trilogy, if anything, just to keep these like different from each other.
1: Well, I I also think I also think that's why Eowyn becomes a more important character, because she sort of had an underserved arc in the Peter Jackson trilogy, I feel like you could definitely expand her presence. Sure. I
3: want, I, honestly, if we're the masters of the universe, <laughs> if we're if we're the masters of this universe, why can't she be in the band? I don't, I don't get why there's no damn girls in the band, dude. Uh, as they walk across the world trying to gather forces to help them, they come across Aowen's tribe of people or whatever, and maybe she's not in with the kings of the Niflheim or whatever the hell. It is in the book. Maybe she's one of the wildings. Kings of the nipple. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. I, like I think the, Ed, yeah.
1: What you're saying is it could be kind of two two separate things. That would actually be a good role for Arwen, and the idea of like a romance developing as they're out doing all this cool stuff between Arwen right. and well, Eredor. That was the
2: that was the original plan was that uh, and they shot a lot of stuff Liv Tyler there's footage of Liv Tyler at Helms Deep and if you're eagle-eyed I think there's one shot that's still in there where you can see the back of her head at Helms Deep she Um. was a part of the crew and then they realized fans were just like the the news got out and fans were like nope not having it so they they acquiesced but I do feel like remember that was around 99-2000 we're now in 2020 where I think um, attitudes in my Mindsets have changed. Mm. I'm fine with having either Arwen, Aowen, whoever you want. Uh, I, I actually think... Uh, why don't you have Eowyn, uh show up to the Council of Elrond on behalf of Rohan and then mm. she goes with Boom. them.
3: Well, Boom! Boom! I mean, yes. And, and also, also, I'm why, just saying, just one, just one thing, Ron. Yeah. She's also a human freaking being who ends up... Like, even me, I am not moved by these movies. You guys know this. But when she goes... Ain't no man, you know what I'm saying? And 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 stabs the guy. Even I was like, all right, I get this. I get this. one of the weaker in a lot of old ways of thinking, people in this whole story wins the day. You know what I'm saying? As far as with a with a physical act. She does a great thing in that moment. I'm not a man. You know, I love, I that. love that.
1: I was my only argument would be how do we make that land even harder? And the idea that, like, yes. Eowyn and Arwen can be at the council of Elrond and Eowyn is not allowed to go, but Arwen is. And Aragorn is more sympathetic to the kind of egalitarian ways of the elves than the patriarchal ways of the, of men sets up Eowyn as even more triumphant when she does don the armor and go out and kill a Nazgul, you know, just give her that moment of being denied And Arwen sort of Mm -hmm. takes her place. And then it also is a more interesting, I think, I don't know if you want to play into the love triangle aspect, but like Aragorn developing a romance while adventuring with Arwen and then coming across Eowyn, who seems to be this sort of like in her place, human princess, but proves herself as being something more. I don't know. There's an interesting dynamic to that.
0: Yeah, we're just going to play with that more. I love that. I love that. We kind of have to. I would love to be able to have discussions about how this was written by a dude in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s who, you know, was living in a different society. And there's no reason we can't update and have women be just as big a part uh, in in the
1: action. There's also an argument to be made that Legolas is just a woman in this. Damn. Absolutely.
2: Oh, yeah. Actually, that seems like a way easier
0: solve. Yeah. Played by Gal Gadot. Hmm, le- Lego Lass. <laughs> I was gonna say it's it's <laughs> that's the worst dad joke I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't I don't like that.
2: And then you'll get all the guys on Reddit like Lego less of a character now because it's a woman. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and you know what? I would argue, producery hat on. Uh, that's good press. The more press we get with bullshit like that uh, great P- bring it on complain yeah. look look like a sexist
1: piece of shit I, I it's gonna be great I love it so I would say we would be committing a great crime if either female Legolas or Aon is not played by Emily Blunt oh yeah no complaints so here
3: no complaints yeah, here. I, don't, I don't have any I don't have any um, my only uh, and if if we couldn't get Emily Blunt and we got my baby Florence Pugh for either AOwen uh, or, or Eowyn. I, I love Florence Pugh. I love her face and her little scowl. I think she' good I, I think she would play a good AOwen. She's so cute.
2: I love her. Uh,
1: and the only other actor that I want to throw into the proceedings, I don't even know which role would be Colin Farrell. I feel like Colin Farrell would bring his weird energy into this world in a way that would work. If the character still exists in this
2: version, I was actually think Colin Farrell would be a great Grima Worm Tongue. Ooh.
3: <gasps> Yeah, okay, who is that? Who is that? So I can go woo as well. Who, he's the uh,
2: the Brad Dourif character who's kind of like he's in the ear of Theoden before Theoden, the the Rohan king. Mm. Uh, he like poisons his mind and then he goes and, and runs to Sauron. He's the sniveling little you know creepy bit that doesn't. Yeah, in the, in the book, he
0: works for for uh, Sauron. Right. Nice. Nice. Okay. I can see that.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, I think the only one missing, unless I'm
1: I'm already blanking, was Gollum, right? And Sam. I mean, if Sam, Sam is the true hero of the of the trilogy, and also Sean Astin just knocked it out of the park. He was absolutely, so
3: absolutely. He was my favorite part of all of these movies. Full stop. So yeah, to do better than that. I don't know, man. Like, who has that inherent goodness for Sam? That innocence. You know what I mean? Yes.
0: Right, so you guys are going to hate it because it's the same person I always do. Never mind. We Stop already cast it. Tom Holland as
1: Frodo. No, Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> I feel like Daniel Radcliffe would be better as Mary or Pippin. <laughs> Ooh, he really would, but
0: would he be allowed to be? I We're, we're picking so many huge characters. Huge, Actors, I guess but our budget is like $500 million. I, ha- I have a really
2: off-the-wall, very strange pick for Gollum. Go with okay. me here. What about a career revival for Macaulay Culkin?
1: <laughs> I love that idea.
0: <laughs> I'm cool with it. This is great. It's
1: Ligali just strange
2: Colby? enough that, and he's, he's, he's a good actor. Or yeah. At least he was, I don't, I haven't seen him in anything in 30 years, but I, I think like he, I buy it. I buy that he was once a hobbit or something similar to a hobbit. And now is kind of, like and I think he can actually draw from his life of being this like big child star and then kind of falling off a little bit. Use it. You know, and I think people will have that in their head when they're seeing it. And you want Macaulay Culkin to be redeemed and to be back where he is. So you're almost rooting for Gollum subconsciously
3: already. You know, (laughs) I love it. No, I I agree with that. Uh, Dark Horse candidate. I just want him to get an audition. okay, guys, for all (laughs) the reasons you just said, Haley Joel Osment. He's a little fat dude. He looks like a hobbit. I he actually think he's a great right Sam. Now. Yeah, he's he your Sam. Sam. <laughs> that I mean, he looks he, like, he's like Sam. <laughs> he
2: kind
1: of
3: <laughs>
2: I think he's like, Sam. Like, easily, I now see it. Especially, I think I watched, uh, what was the one, the walrus one? Uh, what was that oh, walrus Tusk? One? Tusk, yeah. He already has, like, oh, the, yeah, yeah. the little chubby cheeks. I I'm on board with him for Sam. Wow,
1: that's good. That's really good. <laughs> Guys, yeah. Yeah. we redeem some actors. This is great. This this might be <laughs> our best cast yet. Uh, All right, <laughs> So, I as usual, helped. last thing to do here, who is putting this giant six movie double trilogy with 500 million dollars worth of actors? Who's putting it together? Who's directing this thing?
3: Okay. Okay, okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. J.J. Abrams, then Ryan Johnson, then (laughs) J.J. Abrams. (laughs) What about, what about just, I'm thinking (laughs) of
2: like taking these big movies and the, what about like a Ridley Scott? I don't know if he has it in him to try to do all these, but I would love to at least see him take a swing
3: at it. No, I, I see I see that vision. I think we get somebody like that, but that's like 50 instead of 70. But yes, I totally see what you're saying.
1: There is something interesting, though, to Ridley Scott directing the first movie, the Aragorn movie, because I think that's most in his wheelhouse, like the darkness overtaking the world of men and the king losing his birthright and like the seedy politics of it all. That is a Ridley Scott movie. So maybe there's a maybe there's a, a handoff that happens where it goes like Ridley Scott, then who would be the best person for the Hobbit and wizard v- version of the movie? Then who would be the best person for the elf and dwarf version of the movie? Then who brings it home for the war movies? You know, is there a, is there a progression we can do?
3: Okay. I have a suggestion for the war movies and maybe this is just a uh, 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 bias from the day. Like I'm a prisoner of the moment, but Sam Mendes I would mm. trust English-ass Sam Mendes to do a war portion of the movie or even to take the reins from, from Ridley for some other part. I I just think he knows how to do walking. He knows how to do war and the horror of war. He knows how to personalize war. That's all I'm saying.
2: Yeah, that's- I was also thinking for, like, the Wizards one, I I get it. This is the most basic thing I could say, but – what about, what about like, going tried and true and, and asking David Yates if he has any uh, interest or if he wants to do a take on it?
0: I have a weird one for them. Maybe not that weird. We talked about this a little bit um, for, our, for Superman as well. I think it was Superman. It was a Green Lantern. Anyways, uh, the Wachowski sisters uh, for the wizard one. Just uh, you know, Jupiter. Have you seen Jupiter Ascending? It's yeah, not necessarily yeah. a good movie. But the way it looks, I think they could pull off the fantasy element of, 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 that, of that world uh, very, very well. And, and we've talked about how groundbreaking uh, uh, Lord of the Rings was uh, graphically, uh, and I would propose that they could do something similar as well. I don't know. What do but you think? Who, who's, the, who's the Peter Jackson of our day? Because
3: I'm tempted to say somebody like Jon Favreau. Because Jon Favreau knows hmm. about that CGI life. And he knows about, like t- I think, him getting out of uh, Marvel and Disney's bosom for a second to do something as epic as this could work. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, Actually, I does, have
2: a, I mean, I have one more kind of pitch. What about, uh, is you know, this could be for any of them, but I was thinking specifically like Hobbits and Wizards. What about Matthew Vaughn? Because I I think back to like X-Men First Class where he takes something kind of magical and and kind of, you know, sci-fi-ish like the idea of mutants, but paints it in this very relatable, real world kind of aesthetic. Uh, so if he were to take something outlandish like Wizards and Hobbits, but put it that kind of spin on it. Also, I, I haven't seen a Matthew Vaughn movie that I don't like.
1: No, he's a, he's a talented mm. director. I would almost say put Matthew Vaughn on your Elves and Dwarves movie. Just because yeah. I think that, that that sort of grounded, action-y spin on something kind of weird and, and heightened is better for your Elves and Dwarves. Um, but I could see that for sure. I, I think I'm getting stuck on The Hobbit movie because it's. I feel like you just need a director – Who's exceedingly like humanistic, and that's where you kind of lose me with the Wachowskis. Is like I agree yeah. with everything you said, Ron, but like they don't bring a warmth to their movies that I that's think true. that you would need for that second movie. You definitely. What about a Brad for Bird
3: for the Hobbit one?
1: Oh, that I could. I think on that's kind with. of interesting. Yeah.
3: Oh, and I also want to. Th- I want to throw a- as far as somebody who can do medieval crap but with a little heart. Uh, Michelle MacLaren who directed a bunch of Game of Thrones episodes, some very key, big, battle Game of Thrones episodes. I'd like to throw her name in the hat. Just like I said, we're, I in the spirit of these, we're, a lot of times we're just trying to get two or three names in a room to battle it out. And I think I would love to have her be in there uh, as somebody who, like, it's, she has extensive experience with this medieval crap.
0: Yeah, but and, also and, with the
3: modernness of it,
0: and some, uh, yeah, and Walking Dead, Westworld. She's done a lot of great things, so I actually like that idea a lot too.
3: And I think she would know how to. One of the things about these movies is, I mean, Peter Jackson did a lot with that money. Each Mm -hmm. of these movies cost $200 million, but every single cent of it is on the screen.
2: No, actually, you'd be shocked. Each one of these movies costs like $90 million. So the fact that he was able to do three of these movies less than $300 million, which is what some movies that are terrible spend on one movie, I do think like being economically feasible –
1: worked in those movies favor. I mean, I think I think there is something to be said for, like, if you kick it off with Ridley Scott and he sort of, you know, he gives you he gives you the paints that you're going to work with. But then you put together a, a, a coterie of TV directors, but like elevated TV directors. So it could be Michelle McLaren. It could be Carrie Fukuyama. It could be, um, you know, any of these people that work on sort of this next generation of television that might be a good way to both keep the budget down on director and also stretch the budget on, on screen. Yeah. People
2: forget that the Russo brothers were community interested development directors. So you never know yep. where those diamonds in the rough are, you know? Absolutely. I love that. Idea. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Cool. And it, I'll just throw this out there. Phoebe Waller bridge on the script, just cause we need, <laughs> we need her writing dialogue for these English actors to say,
3: uh, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially now that women are going to talk a lot more. Women that aren't <laughs> elves or aliens are going to talk a lot more in this. So we kind of want to be mindful of that. Well,
1: guys, did we do it? Did we achieve reboot? I think I we think did. I think we it, did. It,
0: it, it took us two hours, but I think that makes sense with nine movies.
1: Well, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> we walked the long walk to the Mount Doom <laughs> of rebooting. <laughs> Well, if you guys liked what you saw here, you know you have to hit the subscribe button. What are you doing? We've got unbelievable content. We rebooted Star Wars. We rebooted Superman. We rebooted Batman. And you won't believe some of the reboots that we have coming up Hit the subscribe button, get active in the comments, tell us if you like it, tell us if you don't, uh, and wait until you see. We're going to be in a little bit of a similar milieu for the next one, uh, but it also blends it with some sci-fi weirdness. So maybe John Peters will be happy because he seems to like to blend those two things. Um, In the meantime, if you want more content while you are battling the coronavirus, you can look up the Nerd Goat podcast hosted by Ed Greer and Mr. Ron Swallow. Or look up Hot Takes with Billy Business, hosted by Billy Business. And, of course, Billy and Ed are both on Screen Junkies Universe Weekly. Check them out on YouTube and come back here next week. We're going to be back with uh, an interesting episode. Take care, everybody. Enjoy your quarantine.
0: Hey guys, this is Ron. If you want to check out what we are currently doing, all you have to do is go to the Rebooted channel on YouTube and you can see our sweet faces talking about this stuff. We've got a new tea Public store for you to get all of the cool shirts that you could possibly want. The Mumbo Gumbo, the Pop Art Reboot Crew, the Classic logo, and then of course, the Rebooted drinking game, which has Jensen Ackles and DJ Qualls, among other fan favorite comments. So do yourself a favor, go to tpublic.com user reboot dash it and pick up your favorite t-shirt. So thanks for listening and thanks for supporting Reboot It.